At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a preventative cardiologist and lipidologist at Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, where I'm also chief of cardiology at Baptist Hospital and the chief of population health at Baptist Health. As the pandemic nears the two-year mark, we've come a long way in our fight against COVID-19. In 2021, vaccines for both adults and children, booster shots, and new antiviral medications have helped us move beyond shutdowns and strict limitations on our daily activities. I recently had the pleasure of hosting an episode of Baptist Health's Resource Live program with experts from our health system who talked about our progress in preventing and treating COVID. We also looked at the future and the hope that we can move even closer to normalcy. My guests were Madeline Camejo, Chief Pharmacy Officer at Baptist Health, and Dr. Samar Fami, Chief Medical Officer at Baptist Health Boca Raton Regional Hospital. Let's hear what they had to say. Sam, let's kick it off right to you. I mean, the big buzz going on right now is about Omicron variant, and I know we're still learning um, a lot as time, as in real time. Um, but what do we know about the Omicron variant? What would what, what would you tell our, our viewers regarding what we currently know about it, what concerns they may be, and what um, how it may impact us? Right. So as you said, Omicron is what's on everybody's mind when we're talking about COVID these days. And that's a change because the Delta variant has been the predominant strain and continues to be the predominant strain in the United States uh, up until now. Um, but you know, the latest data is showing that Omicron is about is, is a little less than 5% of what's circulating in the U.S. at this point. That's what's predicted to be at. What's concerning about it is, is that it's significantly more contagious than any previous uh, variant of COVID that we've seen before. Um, and what that means is, you know, experiences like they're having in London and the UK. They're having doubling times in the percent of Omicron that are in the two to three day range, which is much faster uh, in terms of doubling how much, uh, you know, the amount of virus that exists in the community than what we've experienced even with the rapidly transmissible Delta variant. So Delta was more transmissible than the first original COVID, right? Which led to an up, uptick. And now Omicron is more transmissible than COVID, uh, than Delta. That's what you stated. Yeah, that's right. It is the most contagious and most transmissible variant we have seen today. And I think that's that's the biggest concern with it. Um, you know, part of what makes Omicron uh, concerning is the fact that it has uh, 126 mutations versus the original strain of COVID. And why that concerns scientists and physicians around the world is because that may make it more difficult to treat. So things like Regeneron treatment that we have, that we use monoclonal antibodies, you know, the medications that we give to prevent hospitalizations, uh, worked well with Delta, worked well with the original strain. But unfortunately, with Omicron, we're, we're suspicious that it will not work. In fact, I think we're, we're fairly confident that it will not work, and we have to switch to other uh, synthetic antibodies to be able to treat it. Things like vaccination. Vaccination will still be effective, but not quite as effective against Omicron as it was against other strains. Um, so, you know, when you consider that it, it spreads so rapidly, even if the suspicion is true, and we're sus suspecting that it may be a bit less severe 
than Delta or the original strain, although that's not yet confirmed. We're waiting to find out. But even if that suspicion turns out true, because you have so many more people infected, the concern is still there that the weight that it puts on, on, on our healthcare system in terms of number of hospitalizations and number of people needing treatment in the inpatient setting will still be you know, quite high as, 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 it, as it spreads even further through December, January, and February. And that always remained our concern, even when COVID was first being reported in, in Asia before it even came to the United States, uh, certainly high in Italy, and then of course, New York City was not that people would get COVID and die with COVID, which is not something we want and clearly tragic, but that it would overwhelm the healthcare system so people with other medical conditions couldn't get taken care of, as well as the healthcare workers would be overwhelmed, which we, we certainly saw and we got through a couple of waves in, in the Baptist community. So the Omicron, real concern, like I said, more to learn, maybe milder in terms of how ill you get, but if it's more rapidly transmissible, we may see a wave of everyone getting more people getting COVID in a significant amount of time. So this is why it remains on our radar and why it's generating a lot of uh, information. And of course, the longer it takes for the world to get vaccinated and immune, the more variants we may have in the future, which remains concerning. And, and let me add one thing about Omicron. It's the importance of booster shots. I know folks assume they're fully vaccinated after two shots and, and, that, and thus far that has been probably good enough it's no longer good enough to have just two shots of those mRNA vaccines, whether Moderna or Pfizer. If you really want good efficacy against the Omicron variant, you, you really have to get the booster shot six months out after your second dose of vaccination. So it emphasizes that even more now. So, so that's a great segue to a question to Madeline. We know um, um, uh, about vaccination indications and, and you know, the booster shots have been available for some time. What do we know about the efficacy of the booster shots and a follow-up would be right now, uh, based on CDC guidelines, who's eligible to receive a booster shot? Well, I think the you know talking uh, with the uh, concerns of Omicron, the studies do show that the booster shot does generate a higher level of neutralizing antibodies, uh, and they found that because Omicron reduces the efficacy of the two-dose COVID vaccine, that the booster shot can restore significant levels of protection. So that third shot really increases titers by 25%. And, you know, as companies are really looking to, you know, more on precision medicine, especially with the two mRNA companies, they can switch quickly trying to create vaccines that are specific to Omicron. But that's not going to happen until probably early next year. Uh, There's still, everybody's still monitoring and looking to see how they can adapt to further increase levels of protection and duration. But for sure, if you've got the J&J, which every, a lot of people did, which was just that one-shot uh, vaccine, you, we recommend that you do go out and get either a Pfizer or a Moderna uh, booster to, to, to get protection. Um, you not, will no longer be protected with the one-shot, especially with what's, uh, what's happening in our community. And today, everyone 16 years and older is eligible for the booster shot. We get this question a lot. If someone was received the first two vaccinations with one company, um, should they get the booster with the same company's uh, mRNA vaccine? You know, the CDC is allowing for mix and match dosing for booster shots. It's all going to depend on where you're going to get your booster. You know, like right now, for example, if you go to a CVS, CVS is pretty much only has Pfizer uh, available in the majority of their stores, whereas Walmart only has Moderna. 
Um, you want to try to stick to the same, but you know, the CDC really says it doesn't matter. The, the issue is get your booster. Sam, um, let's talk about children for a second. The big, big advancements over the last couple of months was uh, increasing the indications for the COVID vaccines uh, to children. Um, obviously, concerns uh, raised by the community, but you know, thankfully, um, many parents are having their children vaccinated. What, what do we know about the, effic- the uh, effectiveness of the vaccine in children? Yeah, so just to be clear, the vaccines in children, if you're under five years old, they're still not an approved vaccine for you. But if you're over five years old, if the child's over five years old, you have the Pfizer vaccine that is that is very effective. In fact, if, you, uh, if you're looking at the data, it stated it was over 90% effective at preventing COVID-19 in those ages five to 11. Um, and in the 12 to 18 group, it is, it is extremely effective at keeping hospitalizations very, very low in that population. So yes, critical that you do get uh, you know, vaccinated and the Pfizer vaccine is the option for children. It's, um, it, it can get a little confusing when you're talking about these terms uh, you know, in terms of effectiveness. Just because something's 90% effective doesn't mean that Uh, 90% of the people who get it don't get the virus. You know, there's some statistics behind it, so it's hard to to really translate it that way. But what it really means is that the clinical trials showed the majority of people who who got vaccinated, the majority of kids who got vaccinated in these trials, did not test positive in in the period of time that they were studying them during the clinical trial. Over 90% effective means that when you compare them people who didn't get vaccinated, they were much, much less likely to get diagnosed with COVID even after uh, after getting vaccinated. But, um, you know, one of the things that's on all our minds is that there really aren't booster shots for children. Um, and, and, and that is a bit of a concern. So, you know, for those that have, that have waited this long, this is the time to get your first two shots. And for those that got their first two shots when it first came out, uh, for children, we're still in that protection zone. So I feel like we're still doing okay, even with the children's vaccines, because most children got vaccinated in the summer and later. So we're, you know, we're within that six-month period that we would have sufficient protection. Now, time is running out before the holidays, and we do need a few weeks for the vaccines to really take effect. So if you have not vaccinated your children that are between 5 and 16 years old, or 5 and 18 years old, Go ahead and do so now. That way, when the holidays roll around and there are gatherings a couple of weeks down the road, you do have some level of protection. Um, and, and that level of protection doesn't just protect the children, but the older folks that you're interacting with during the holidays, ones that may have weakened immune systems and have higher risk of developing really severe disease. We have seen that children are less likely to be symptomatic and they actually do. They are the cause of a lot of transmission to adults. Um, so it's very important to actually have the children vaccinated for their benefit as well as for those around them, as you mentioned. Um, but but take a moment and talk about, again, I, we, we talked before, the efficacy, effectiveness, these are concepts that sometimes get misinterpreted. But the reality is, if someone gets vaccinated, can you tell them that you won't get COVID? Or secondly, you may get it, but you won't get sick? Talk, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves, but what's the individual experience? Um, someone can catch COVID if they've been vaccinated. They may get some illness, but what what does the vaccine actually um, um, prevent from a, from a personal and from a public health standpoint? Just because you got vaccinated doesn't mean you can't catch and transmit COVID. The promise of vaccines has always been keeping you from getting too sick, 
keeping you from ending up in the hospital, keeping you from dying from the illness. That's ultimately what we try to what we what we're trying to accomplish with vaccinations. And as an added benefit, because your body is primed with that vaccination with antibodies that can fight the virus the minute they see it, the virus doesn't replicate or make copies of itself as quickly in somebody who's vaccinated versus somebody who's not. And what that means for the rest of the community is if I'm not able to make as many copies because I'm vaccinated, I'm less likely to spread that illness to others because there's less copies being coughed up or sneezed up or even if I'm talking or singing, less virus copies are being spread throughout the community because my body is preventing it from doing so because of the vaccine. So it should have some effectiveness in limiting the spread, but ultimately the major benefit is keeping you from getting too sick or ending up in the hospital because of COVID. Thank you. So the vaccine remains um, our personal and our nation and the world's best means of controlling COVID and avoiding uh, unnecessary and avoidable hospitalizations and deaths, um, which, which remains what we've been advocating for some time. Um, Madeline, we, we, let, we let off with a, a, a discussion about Omicron, which is quite concerning. Let's talk about potentially a little bit of a positive here, the COVID pill that's getting some press. Um, what do we know about the COVID pill? Um, how, does it, how does it work? So um, the FDA just gave approval for Merck's, it's called Molnupiravir. Uh, that was just approved as an EUA, but it's still not available in the United States and it's probably not going to happen until early 2022. The, right now it's only available in the, in the UK. And um, Pfizer is also going to be submitting an application for Paxlovid in early January to the FDA, which is their antiviral medication. So both medications are antivirals, which are pills that work by stopping the virus from, replicate, from replicating in the body. So monuperavir is going to be four capsules twice a day, starting five days after your first symptoms. And then Paxlovid was shown to work best when it was given three days of onset from symptoms. And it's going to be three pills taken twice a day, daily for five days. Both did show in clinical trials that it does reduce the severity of COVID-19. Um, it helps to speed up the recovery. And the initial data does show that it does help reduce hospitalizations, death, and it does work against the current variant spreading in our community. So that's, that's the good thing about these medications. Um, I think it was going to have a major impact on the pandemic by making treatments more available at home and, and help with not having everyone come for uh, right now only treatments that we have available is really infusion type medications like, you know, Regeneron and other uh, things that we have available. But again, just like Dr. Fami uh, expressed with Omicron, you know, on the back end coming that could be spreading very quickly in the next three to three months, um, that may not be an option for us. So, you know, there's good and bad, but I think, uh, I think some of these uh, pills coming, I think the Pfizer pill, coming will, will definitely be some good um, uh, for us to have weapons for us to have and continue to fight COVID. So these are not replacements of the vaccine. I think we should make that very clear. Yeah. We still want people to vaccinate. We still want children over the age of five to be vaccinated. And we still want the booster for those eligible. But when one gets COVID, if you will, there might be an oral treatment, which as you said, it's more accessible and 
easier to take uh, to my decrease the symptoms. What what do we currently do? And I'll ask both of you guys this question. What do we when someone has COVID now, whether they're at home feeling sick or or really having complaints, is there a, a threshold or let me phrase it? How do you recommend someone who might have COVID um, um, act? Should they go to a center immediately to receive uh, an intravenous therapy? It's only if you have very high fever or severe cough or shortness of breath. Where where would you recommend um, the threshold be for someone who might have COVID to actually get the uh, the antiviral therapies? Um, I'll start with Madeline. Can you can you speak to that? I think uh, it all depends on. There's many various and many factors. Am I fully vaccinated? Am I not? You know, if you are not, then. See, immediate treatment as quickly as possible. If you're vaccinated, you know, get tested quickly to know whether or not you do have COVID. You know, there are a lot of people who are getting colds now. So people get a little uh, afraid and, and uh, you know, because they get the six kind of same symptoms. But I think as soon as you feel like you're not feeling well, you're, you're not in, in a state is get tested and get, uh, you know, make sure you seek medical uh, um, uh, advice as quickly as possible. The faster you get, you get, you know, uh, diagnosed, the easier it is to treat and be able to manage your, your disease state. Um, Sam, you had mentioned a great point about, you know, taking two weeks of the vaccines to kind of kick in and now people gathering for the holidays, which would be a, a critical time for um, um, people to, to be vaccinated. Do you see a complacency regarding, you know, schools uh, opens, department stores, using masks, big gatherings again regarding sporting events and and musical concerts and stuff? Any 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 cautions you would make to the viewers regarding um, um, keeping their guard up in in preventing the spread of COVID nineteen? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I mean, we've we're nearing the two year mark in this pandemic, and people are tired. Right? People are tired of isolating. People are tired of having to wear masks everywhere. So it's perfectly understandable that uh, over the last couple of months, we've seen people let their guard down a little bit. Um, unfortunately, it's happening at the wrong time. With the rise in Omicron, with the amount of, um, of infections that they're seeing in other states outside Florida, to us, it's only a matter of time before we see that same type of increase here. In fact, this week, we've started to see just a slight uptick in numbers, which may signal the beginning of that steep rise that we saw over the summer with the Delta variant. Um, combine that with flu season, combine that with Omicron being around the corner and likely to be the you know spreading rapidly and becoming the predominant variant. And I would tell people this is the time to tighten up again and to keep your guard up. Um, we did have a good month or two where transmission rates in the community were declining, things were looking good in South Florida, and now I feel like we're on the upswing again in terms of the number of infections, and especially with the holidays around the corner, this is the time to get your guard up again. So if you have chosen not to have your children wear masks in school, that was understandable a month or two ago, but now is not the time to stick with that. You know, now is the time to sort of take extra precautions until we see where this is going around the holidays and, and, and well through January. And if we see continued, uh, you know, the low numbers, then we can have a discussion about the risks of taking the masks back off. But I'll tell you, Jonathan, up until now, I've had my children in masks in schools, even though we've had the options to take them off. It just seems like 
the, you know, the, it doesn't bother them too much anymore. They've sort of gotten used to it and it helps reduce the transmission of COVID in a, in a, in a place that's densely populated with kids like schools. So to me, it was, it was the right thing to do and continues to be the right thing to do. And I would advise the rest to do the same. Masks and vaccines are probably the two things that you can do to make a difference in the transmission throughout schools, especially with children. Such a small price to pay and such effective weapons we have against, uh, against COVID-19. Um, Madeline, a um, couple of final questions, guys. The information has just been really wonderful and very helpful. Um, where, do, where do you see this going? we got pills, vaccines. We have variants. Um, you, know, you don't have a crystal ball. No one does. But where do you see 2022? How do you see 2022 playing out in terms of, of the pandemic? You know, I think we're going to continue to have hotspots throughout the United States. Um, I think they're going to, for me, I think with pharma coming around the corner, I think there's going to be more and more treatment options to be given to us for next year with uh, new monoclonal antibodies coming out to help with the Omicron variant and being able to give longer protection. Uh, and I think there will be more treatments and testing available for home, which will help distress uh, the healthcare facilities. But we have to continue to, to be on our guard and really try to do the best we can to wear our mask, do what we can not to continue the spread um, so that we can get somewhere to norm normalcy. But I think we're going to see this around for, for a while. Do you think we're going to be having boosters indefinitely? Do you see, at least based on current technology, is this something that every six months or every year or what have you, I think um, for sure, vaccine for sure. Part, I yeah. think boosters are, I think it's going to be a way of life for the next three to five years until we can get enough people vaccinated. I think we're going to continue to see spreads and spread. And remember, it's not just the United States, it's the world. There's lots of uh, countries who have not been able to buy uh, vaccines and, you know, the United States, and there's, there's a lot of the WHO organization trying to help all these other folks, but if you think back in the 1920s, when we had a huge pandemic of the Spanish flu, people didn't travel the world. It was only the very, very rich got to travel. And, you know, things got pretty much, you know, uh, died out in, in local areas. But, you know, to, we live in a different world. People can get on a plane and travel all over and continue, you know, spreading. And that's why I think it's really important the, for us to continue being alert and, you know, everyone needs to help get vaccinated for the good of humanity. I think, you know, our survival's at stake. We're already 800,000 deaths in the United States. How much more do we need to, how many more people do we need to lose before the message gets through? Sam, last question to you, and it's a kind of a broad one. Do you think there's going to be any negative effects in, in adults or maybe children in the fact that for two years we've not had a lot of the other communicable diseases that we usually see uh, in the course of our public health since, uh, since uh, the precautions taken with program, uh, COVID? Um, you know, that's a tough one to answer because, you know, ever since the late 80s and 90s, there has been theories out there about, you know, are we too hygienic? Are we keeping our kids away from too many microbes and bacteria? And that's leading to things like um, you know, increase in number of allergies that they have or hay fever or asthma or eczema. Things like that can pop up more in, a, in an immune system that has not been challenged enough in childhood. 
I'm less concerned about that with adults. So if we're thinking back and we've quarantined last year and we've stayed isolated over the last two years, by, by the time you get to adulthood, you've been exposed to enough good and bad bacteria and viruses and, and fungus and everything else that your immune system has built a robust enough response. And I doubt that that year or two in isolation has caused any, you know, any deterioration in the immune response, let's say. So I'm less concerned in adults, although in, in, you know, in children and adults, we never want somebody to just lock themselves up at home and stay indoors all the time, even, you know, even during periods of rapid transmission when we're saying isolate, it's isolate, but you still go outside, still get some fresh air, still get some exercise if you can outdoors. Um, so you're still exposed to natural bacteria and viruses that are in the environment, even though you're not getting person-to-person -person contact or transmission of a virus. We encourage people, even during times when you're trying to keep your distance from others, to get some regular exercise, get some fresh air, and go outside. To our listeners, remember that you can send us your comments and suggestions for future topics at Baptist Health Talk at baptisthealth.net. That's baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. On behalf of everyone at Baptist Health, thanks for listening and have a safe and healthy holiday season. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.